We're going to be back in 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 3 as we begin with praise to God. Today is our second Sunday in a series of messages from the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. Last week, we focused on the first two verses, the introduction, the identifications. We learned that the letter was written by the Apostle Peter under the authority, with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. We heard that the letter was written to churches scattered throughout the regions that we now know as the northern part of Turkey. This is about 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. Peter called these people, these churches, elect exiles, chosen sojourners, because though they had homes, real homes in the regions that are mentioned, In verses 1 and 2, as Christians, they know that their citizenship is in heaven. And the tension that is created in living in this world as citizens of heaven, they are experiencing this as sojourners. And then we saw that God himself is identified. Peter wrote to the scattered sojourners, and God himself is identified as Father, Spirit, and Jesus Christ the Son, one God in three persons. Peter told us that it's the Father who chose and elected his people through his foreknowledge. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies and gives the new birth and conforms Christians to that new birth. It's Jesus Christ who sprinkles us with his blood and forgives us of our sins and who is our Lord. So all of that, that was an overview, a flyover of last week's sermon. Gleaning from the greeting today, We want to begin with this blessing. This portion that we're going to read today is part of a larger portion, section that's leading up to the first command. We don't get to the first command in 1 Peter until verse 13 of chapter 1. Peter is now blessing God, praising God. And today we're going to hear this and listen for this. So stand with me in honor of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Imagine yourself as a convert to Christ in the first century. You've been gathering with your congregation weekly And when you come together, you worship through Jesus Christ. You remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember the gift of the Spirit that Jesus Christ gave to you. 
Each week you gather and you hear in the first century church the Old Testament read, explained through the light of Jesus Christ. You're likely also to hear about Jesus' teaching and the message of the apostles and the early disciples would be shared among you. Your congregation is diverse. There are some Jewish people there who have come to believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Some may have come to faith 20 or 30 years earlier. Some may have been acquainted with the events that happened in Jerusalem when the Spirit was given by Jesus to the church 30 years earlier. And in your congregation, there are some Gentile believers. They've turned to Christ from paganism. And now they're following the one living and true God as they follow His Son, Jesus Christ. In your congregation, there are young and old people. There are new and not so new converts. There are married people, there are unmarried people. There are people who belong to different social classes, different occupations. They have different personalities. But you all want to follow Jesus because you've come to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you've made that confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. And you all love Christ in your congregation. You rejoice in Him because He saved you. And in all of this tension, you want to remain loyal to Jesus. And you all feel the tension. The major persecution that would be initiated by Rome still awaits you, but already you're feeling in your congregation the tension of living as sojourners in this world while you belong to the kingdom of God with a heavenly home. You've been grieved by various trials, hardships in your life, some of them because you are a Christian, some of them are happening to you at home and in your work. You're already faced as believers in Christ with very tricky situations that call for moral and ethical judgment and discernment, and some of that again in relation to your home and your employment with the government. And then there is also that old self, that old before Christ self with all of its sinful passions and desires that you thought were dead and gone when you became a Christian. But they don't seem to stay dead. And they're flaring up and you've got all kinds of temptation. About the time you and your congregation are starting to feel a bit weary. And some doubt is coming in. And maybe some are defeated. Your friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, are feeling the same way. It's having an impact on your whole congregation. There's low morale. The relationships have cooled. There's a loss of passion. And some people are even wandering away. The tension is getting to everyone. And then you hear, that the next time your congregation gathers a letter from the Apostle Peter 
the disciple of Jesus, the leader of the church, who's now in Rome, is going to be read and discussed in your church. Now you feel the pressure and you've got questions and you've got concerns and you need a lot of clarity about how to obey God in these situations. You're experiencing trials and tribulations. You need a word and then somebody tells you the word is coming. And when we get together on Sunday, we're going to read the letter. You will be there. Front row, if you can get a seat. And then the letter's read. And it gets through the introductions. And you hear these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then what flows is a long, beautiful exposition of God's great mercies. And you say, yes. You think to yourself as it's being read, yes. Of course we should begin with praise to God. We should begin with praise to God because God is worthy to be praised. We should begin with praise to God because during our stay on this earth, it's minds that are stayed on God, on Jehovah that are kept in perfect peace. Yes, we should begin with praise to God before we hear the first command to prepare our minds for actions because our minds need to be reminded of the great mercy of God. Yes, we start with the mercy of God because remembering the mercy of God is what will bring joy to our hearts and it is great rejoicing in our hearts to God that is our strength in time of trial and various testings. Yes, we begin with praise and blessing to God because God's faithfulness is the beginning point of our faithfulness to Him. So yes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So gathered that day with your congregation, you know that you are not going to be disappointed as the letter is read and expounded upon and discussed the next week when you gather in homes and have your meals together. You know this is life. Well, so it is with us today, Grace Community Church. We come to the opening of this letter. We begin and we remain with praise to God for God's great mercy because the source of our joy in the trials of life and the testings of our faith, the source of our joy is God and His great mercy. And so this morning, we're going to unfold it, the reasons that we bless and praise God. I'll go ahead and tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to give you two. Why bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, for His mercy. Number two, for our joy. Number one, we bless and praise God for his mercy. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To bless God is to honor him. 
It is to praise Him. It is to thank Him. It is to say good words about God. That's what songs are. That's why we're careful about what we sing. We want to say something good about God. We want to bless God. Blessed be God. And he's called the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, this Trinitarian language that we saw last week is coming out. This time, he's the Father of Jesus Christ. That's the Son. The Spirit is not mentioned by name in these verses, but certainly he's referred to because by him we are born again, Jesus said in John chapter 3. He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one beautiful point there is that when Jesus Christ is our Lord, God is our Father also that's why we pray our father through jesus peter himself what's interesting about verse 3 is that peter himself is blessing god he's not telling you to do it he knows you will he's blessing god he's praising god himself peter can't write the letter without praising god for his great mercy and in doing so he's calling us to praise god Praise God, bless God, who according to his great mercy. Praise God for his great mercy and all that follows his mercy. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, here is the goodness that follows the mercy of God. The mercy of God is his compassion. It's his concern. It's his pity. It's a good word when it comes to God toward us. We say toward other people, don't pity me. I don't want to be pitied. But toward God, we say, pity me. (laughs) I'm helpless. I need your mercy and your help. Mercy is God's forgiveness, God's pardon. The debt canceled, our sin debt canceled because Christ paid it. Mercy is God's relief in our suffering, God's release so that we can be free. Mercy is God calling us in a way that awakens us. Mercy is God turning us back to himself. Mercy is God then welcoming us when we come. Benevolence bestowed upon us, keeping us in his grace. Mercy is God toward us in all of our need all of our helplessness, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our active turning away, and yes, all of our suffering and all of our sorrow and all of our spiritual deadness. Mercy is God acting toward us, his great mercy. By his mercy, Ephesians 2 says, we are made alive. We are dead in our sins and trespasses, but by God's mercy, he has raised us up with Christ. By mercy, pure mercy, not by works of righteousness, Titus says, Titus 3. By mercy we are saved. Lamentations tells us God's mercies are new every morning. Here it says, according to his mercy. And then the long exposition of the mercies of God. Three of them are here. Verse 3, here's the first one. His mercy by his mercy, we are, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a long phrase. He caused us to be born again. 
by mercy. No one causes his or her birth. That's the work of parents. The work of the gestation period in a woman's body designed by God. And so no one causes his or her new birth. The new self is the work of God's Spirit. It's a miracle. You must be born again, Jesus said, and that is a miracle. And it's motivated by God's mercy, which He chooses to show on a person. And when He does, we are born again. We are made spiritually alive. New people with spiritual life in Christ. We are born again, this long phrase, we are born again to a living hope. Living hope is birthed within us when we are born again. And I love that Peter tells us it's living hope. It's not wish hope. It's not the wish hope of human nature. I hope it will clear up today by the time I get out of church and become 78 degrees. Not happening, by the way. It's not a wish hope of human nature. It's a living hope. The person born again by the Spirit of God now has a living hope, and that is a hope that is dynamic. It's active. It's in our soul, and it animates us toward living, toward faithfulness to Christ in this world. The living hope comes to us by the Spirit, and look, what, look at the text. It is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the living Christ, Jesus Christ alive through the Spirit, bestows the living hope in our hearts. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead empowers the hope that is alive in you. So does it matter that Jesus Christ actually, literally rose from the dead? I couldn't imagine that question when I first became a Christian. It was just astounding to me that anyone would ever even ask the question, does it matter? And by the time I got to college and even on to seminary, I began to hear that question asked in a serious manner. People who were being serious were asking the question, does it even matter that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? Well, the answer would be, if you want to be born again, it does. If by the Spirit you want to have a hope in your heart that's alive, that moves you forward, and you want to know God, and you want to have spiritual life, then of course it matters that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Because the living Christ gives us living hope. That is a mercy of God. And there's another mercy found in verse 4. It's the mercy of an inheritance. We've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 
Now, when the nation of Israel was brought out of slavery in Egypt, they were brought into an inheritance, into a land. And each tribe was portioned land. We, in Christ, are brought out of darkness and into light, 1 Peter 2. And we also have an inheritance. Something awaits us. Now, my guess is that 99.9% of our longings have to do with the next five minutes or five years. Peter is telling us that we have an inheritance that awaits us beyond that. It is not land here. It is life in the kingdom of God. The inheritance is a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is the grace that will be brought to us when Christ returns. All of this in 1 Peter. The inheritance that awaits the people who have been born again is the glory of God, life without decay. He says it's imperishable. Imperishable. There's nothing on this planet that is imperishable. You open up a package and it's got one of those little things inside of it. I don't know what you call it. A little white thing in an envelope to keep whatever you bought from spoiling. You won't have that in the glory to come. In the glory to come, in the inheritance to come, there'll be no sin or curse. Nothing will be defiled. If there are golden streets in heaven, that's an old thing that people used to say. I have no idea about that. But if there are, there will not be a pothole. <laughs> Undefiled. No curse. No sin. No diminished glory. Unfading. The light will never go out. Imperishable undefiled, unfading life with God and inheritance awaits because we've been born again by the mercy of God. Maybe we could say also, we are born again by the mercy of God because an inheritance awaits us. The only way we will ever get to the inheritance, the only way we will ever enter the glory, the only way we will ever experience the imperishable, undefiled, unfading glory and life of God is if we are born again. That is a mercy. God made the heavens and God made the earth and God made the man and God made the woman and God put them in the garden and He said, it is good, it is very good. How much more then will the new heaven and the new earth and the inheritance to come be very, very good. Because in that one there will be no possibility of sin. No possibility of sin. That's the difference between the new heaven, the new earth, and the garden. In the garden there was the possibility of sin. And they sinned. In the new heaven and the new earth, it's very, very good. So much better because there will be no possibility of sin. And where there is no possibility of sin, there is no possibility of death and decay and defilement and diminished glory. This is a mercy that God has awaiting for us. And we enter it now in abiding in Christ, but looking for it to come when He returns. 
We've been born again. We have an inheritance. And then there's a third mercy found in verses four and five. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Long phrase. God's power to accomplish what God's mercy intends is the whole point. That's the whole point of that phrase. What does God intend? To lavish mercy on you. To give you the new birth, to keep you in Christ, to get you all the way to the inheritance to come. This is what God intends to do. And God's power will accomplish it. This is a mercy. God will provide, God will protect, God will keep, God will grant our inheritance, our salvation to come is sure. It is sure not because of you. You are not keeping yourself in the grace of God. You are not ensuring that you will inherit salvation. God is, by His power, He is keeping your inheritance for you, protecting it, guarding it. And there's more. He is guarding it for you. He's guarding the inheritance, and he, by His power, He is guarding you who through faith will inherit it. God is protecting us. God is making sure we will get home. I love Psalm 121. God is your keeper. I remember a point in my life when I read that passage and it landed on me strongly. If you were around in those days, you don't remember it. You don't, but I do. We were, we were meeting at Aiken Elementary School. And I was needing God desperately, probably faking my way through a handful of sermons there for a few weeks, needing the Lord to bring to me the encouragement into my faith that I needed. I was struggling, and I picked up Psalm 121, and I read, the Lord is your keeper. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't forget you. He won't let the sun or the moon strike you. He won't let your foot slip. The Lord is your keeper. My soul came alive with that mercy. I may have preached it the next Sunday. I don't remember that. Verse 5, he keeps us. And he keeps us through faith. He continues, the Lord continues to grant and strengthen our faith even in our testings. This is what's so beautiful. The Lord keeps us in his grace. The Lord keeps us saved. The Lord saves us and keeps us saved by his grace. But then he does it through faith. And now we get nervous again. Oh no, there's that thing, through faith, I've got to muster the faith. But the Lord's the one who's keeping our faith. It's the Lord from beginning to end. We must continue to believe. We must continue to trust. We must continue to entrust our lives to God. And God, by His grace, gives us this faith to continue on. What a mercy! God is blessed. That's the first part. He blesses God for his mercies. And you know, mercies come in a bundle. The bundle of mercy is that mercy comes by giving us the new birth, by granting us an inheritance 
And by keeping the inheritance and keeping us for the inheritance, this is the bundle of God's mercy. And we praise Him. The next reason we praise is for our joy. And this is very important. The future inheritance, the future salvation to be revealed, the future of glory that is ours, is not intended to prevent us from living faithfully in this world now. That future inheritance and glory and salvation is intended to prepare us to live faithfully now. We do not, as Christians, say, the future's bright, the present's not, let's just ride it out until he comes again. That's not the point. The point is, God is sovereign, God is merciful. The inheritance is to come. He will keep us and guard us. He will guard it for us and us for it. He will get us all the way home. And so now, in this life, we can live as the most hope-filled, energized, active people bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word, the salt and the light to this world because we have hope. And hope is fueled by joy in God. Verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, that that faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Most of what I just read, I'm going to talk about next Sunday, Lord willing. But here, this is what we see. In this you rejoice. In what? In the mercy of God. If you're a person who writes in your Bible, just circle this and then draw arrows back up. In this great mercy, in this born again to a living hope, in this an inheritance, in this his keeping guarding grace, this, all of this mercy, every one of his mercies, we rejoice in, we take joy in, in God. We experience the joy of God and we express the joy of God. And the context of the joy of God, joy in God's mercies, look at the context, it's various trials and tested faith. This runs totally counter to what I normally think. I have the most joy when I'm on a trail, the phone's away from me, me and the birds, joy. That's not the context. That's not what he says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, and it's necessary, you're grieved by various trials and the testing of your faith for now we say this we'll come back to that next week but for now we say this joy 
in the mercy of God is a sustaining power. We say, God will strengthen you. God will give you power. How? Like practically speaking, how does God strengthen us? He does it by giving us joy. Joy comes from meditation, receiving, experiencing, expressing his mercies. The strength for our faithfulness and our ongoing faith in trials and testing is the joy of the Lord, and that comes from meditation upon his mercies. God's mercy is the source of our joy, and joy is the beginning point of our faithfulness to God. In trials and testings and temptations, everyone will turn somewhere. Everyone will. Psalm 121 says it. From where does my help come? That's how it starts. From where does my help come? That's a human experience. It's universal. Every human being says, from where does my help come? So where, where does it come from? Where, where are you going to go? Inward? Your own self-resources, your natural self with no, re- with no reference to God? You might say, no, I've done that. I've been there and I've done that. You're going to go outward? Something to distract you? Something to deaden the tension? Something to bring a quick resolve? Something to fix it, to solve it? You're going to go outward? We know the consequences of that in our personal lives and in our culture. Where are we going to go? Where's my help come? Where, from where's my help? Upward. That's where. To God. His great mercy. His mercy that fuels our faith and our hope and our faithfulness. My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 121. The Lord, the Lord is my keeper. This morning, turn upward. Peter has put before us a spread, reasons to bless and praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of them flowing out of his mercies. So this morning, you're thinking about it, we're here. If you could imagine back to that first century and you're one of those people sitting when that letter is first read, you don't even really have to have the guy reading the letter explain to you what you should do with it. You, you know what you should do with it. You receive it. That's what you do with mercy. You're on the side of the road and you've got a flat tire and you've got no jack for your car and your cell phone's dead and you can't call AAA and a guy shows up and says, I'll help you. What do you say? What do you say? No, I don't, I don't need any help. I'm good. You know, it's 10 degrees outside and you forgot a coat. I'm good. No. You receive this mercy. Mercy is to be received. Everyone. Everyone. Who repents and believes and trusts and entrusts their souls to God is saved. And everyone who does that 
can be assured of the mercy of God. We said it last week and we'll say it again. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time figuring it out whether or not it's for you. Am I elect? Am I born again? You throw yourself at the mercy of God. You entrust your soul to Him. You receive His mercy and you'll know you are. So turn to Christ. Receive His mercy. Trust Him. And you know, you just need to remember this every day. You know it. You know that you've got to review this every morning. His, if His mercies are new every morning, then you've got to wake up every morning and you've got to remind yourself of them. It's every single day. You say, why is it that every day I feel like I have to repeat myself? It's Groundhog Day in my Christian life. That's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, that's the whole point. The sun rises every day so that you will wake up and receive the mercies of God fresh and new. Sometimes the awe of God's mercy just lands on us in the most unexpected ways. It just hits us and, you know, we're undone by it. But you know, most often, most often it doesn't happen that way. Most often we become aware of the mercies of God when we simply put ourselves in the way of them. We go to the right places where we're going to hear about the mercy of God like church. We do the right patterns in our lives where we're going to be reminded of the mercy of God like wake up and pray and read the Bible. Talk to a friend help each other in the faith see most sometimes the mercy of God just overwhelms us most of the time we become aware of it by putting ourselves in the way of it those patterns and places to receive God's mercy and and to remember it and to renew and review it and you know when you hear about the mercies of God you just rejoice you say is that enough I mean, is it enough? Like, like, is that the right response when we hear about the mercy of God and the worship team comes back up here and we sing this song of praise and joy to God? I mean, yes. Yes, it's enough. What does the text say? What has Peter done so far in light of God's mercy? He's just rejoiced. He's blessed God. He's praised God. Rejoice in the mercies of God in all the trials and the testings of faith. 